Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for joining us. It's our pleasure to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour as we are going to open the Bible again. And we have a wonderful study today, the mystery of the gospel. I would like to welcome our panel today and I'll say hello to Denise. It's good to have you with us, Denise. It's a pleasure to be here, Nick. Ken, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. Joe, it's also very good to have you with us today. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here. Will, thank you for joining. Thanks for the invitation, Nick. We may have Jerry coming with us just um, a little bit uh, later and... uh, yeah, we'll have him sharing with us, but I will say hello to Len. Good to have you with us, Len, and you are going to facilitate this discussion. Thank you for preparing. Thank you for the welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. Yes, as Nick said in his introductory remarks, today we are studying another part of the book of Ephesians, and the title of this part is called The Mystery of the Gospel. You know, Mysteries are fascinating. Many films, plays, TV shows are based on mysteries. The main fascination of a mystery is trying to solve it. Ephesians chapter 3 focuses on a mystery. The Apostle Paul, who under inspiration is the author of the letter to the believers in Ephesus, reveals the solution to the mystery quite early in his encouraging epistle. Paul develops the background for what is revealed in chapter 3 in the early part of the letter. In chapter 3, verse 6, he explains what the mystery is all about. It's basically this, and this I'm reading from Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentile believers are heirs together with Israel, the Jewish believers, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Now, all that put into plain terms is that unlike the situation that existed in B.C. times, The gospel of Jesus Christ is not exclusive. Salvation is available to anyone, regardless of race, sexuality, skin colour or creed. Now, listeners, don't go away since you already know the answer, because there is more fascinating material, much more to learn. And so we're going to begin this study as always, by prayer, with prayer. Thank you, Denise. All right, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us to know who you are, especially when we read your word and we uh, discuss the principles and the relevant spiritual messages that come from it. And I pray that you will bless both the panel members today and the listeners as we go through this a special study where you uh, want everybody to, to be saved. You don't want anybody to miss out. So we thank you for your great love and 
uh, mercy towards each one of us. And we pray that uh, your spirit will guide in uh, the reading of your word today and the discussion that takes place. Amen. Thank you, Denise. Uh, Jerry, Paul begins this part of his letter by placing a value on the gospel and how it affected him personally. What was that value? Well, it says there that uh, Paul is a prisoner for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for preaching that the Gentiles were equally heirs of the promises of belonging to the family of God and the gift of salvation. So uh, for this, he was hated by his own countrymen. He found himself uh, imprisoned, not for something that he'd done wrong, as in a crime, but uh, simply for preaching the gospel and the good news that is available to all men. And um, in fact, he mentions it three times. First in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, I, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, have been in prison. And then in the first verse of the next chapter, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I appeal to you to live lives worthy of your high calling as Christians. And finally, in chapter 6, verse 20, he calls himself an ambassador ambassador in chains because of the gospel. Yes, Paul had given up his position in society, wealth, and all sorts of pleasures and comforts like that in order to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It cost him dearly, and it wasn't just that, but as you very well said, Jerry, he was a prisoner at the time when he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. So it cost him very dearly. Now, most of us probably realize that Paul has been described as the missionary to the Gentiles. So how did Paul come by the message he lived, preached and taught? Well, Paul, Paul was once known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a rising star in Jewish circles. And Acts 22 gives a detailed account of how he came about the message at first, um, a message that he preached, lived and died for. And just a, a briefly a little bit about him, he was zealously a zealously devout Jew, highly educated in the Torah and the prophets, who set his heart on basically bringing an end to the early Christian church. Uh, Jesus appears to him on his way to Damascus while he was carrying extradition letters and plans to haul these believers back to Jerusalem where they would be dealt with severely. And it's good reading, Acts 22, if anyone's got the time. Now, Saul's mob was surrounded and engulfed in blinding light and a voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, of course, he's on the ground on his knees, blinded by that, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And the answer is, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And the, the account goes on. But for now, let's bring it to Ephesians and concentrate, or rather to Galatians, concentrate on what Paul says in Galatians 1, 11 to 18, as to how he came about the message he was preaching. And I'm reading, for you have heard of my previous life 
way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was to go, was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas or um, Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Sure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Paul was having to defend his apostleship to the Galatians, but this wasn't necessary in Ephesus. They loved and honoured Paul. No question here about his apostleship and authority to speak about the things of God. And interesting, and interesting to note that Paul, being an ardent student of scripture and uh, of scripture, quotes the Old Testament in his letters many times um, from the Torah, uh, from the prophets, from other books, and apparently it amounts to one hundred and thirty-one times in his letters. So much for the Old Testament being no longer relevant. So that's really amazing. So basically, he got his message from the word of God. Yes. And as um, uh, he spent some time alone in the desert in Arabia, he received the message also directly from the Lord. Yes. In other words, it was, uh, he had a lot of knowledge beforehand probably didn't know a lot about the gospel, but then he was given this message by the Lord. Now, in the beginning, in the introduction of chapter 3, verse 1, Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Christ. But a little later on, he identifies himself a second time. This time, not as a prisoner, but as what, Ken? Well, then we read in Ephesians 3 and verse 7 that Paul says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace. Joe's just done uh, an excellent job of explaining how that came around. I believe that he changed that wording because he was known or he had said before that he was a, a prisoner and whose prisoners didn't have much of a standing or weren't looked upon very well. And I believe he thought that would that would be a bit detrimental to what he was trying to do. So he's now saying he became a servant of the Most High God. Yes, thank you, Ken. Now, also he calls himself a slave, um, prisoner, servant, and slave of Christ. Now, Will, how can somebody be described as a slave when they choose of their own free will to honour the Lord? We must recall that uh, Paul, having been a Pharisee himself, um, well, amongst the Pharisees, they once emphatically stated, we have never been slaves to anyone. 
But any honest person will admit that slavery to sin is a very dark place to be, Len. Paul, a Pharisee, as I've said, admitted that we're all slaves to the oppression of sin. The sheer joy of being set free by Jesus would lead a person to offer to become a servant, yes, a slave, of his benevolent master. Because the Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But let me read Romans 6 verse 22 in the English Standard Version. version. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We are slaves by choice because of the goodness of God, Len. That's a very important thing that you pointed out there, Will. We are slaves by choice. In other words, we want to be subjects of the Lord. Well, Denise, from once being a fanatical Jewish Pharisee, now I'm not talking about you, from once being a fanatical Jewish Pharisee, what brought about the change in Paul's own life? Well, the change could only have happened through the power of God. And we know that his conversion from a persecutor of Christians to someone who devoted the rest of his life to preaching was indeed a miracle from God. And he says in Ephesians 3, 7 and 8, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, which is God's power, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Paul never ceased to be amazed that someone so unworthy as he should be chosen for such an important task as preaching the news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And he identifies God as the creator of all things. He identifies the power of God in his life. And he also um, points out that uh, God planned our redemption. So we could probably say if it could happen to Paul, it can happen to anyone. That through the power of the grace of God, people will turn around, make a complete reversal in their lives and change. And I know people like that. People have been drug addicts who are now beautiful Christians. And so this is a demonstration of the power of God. And Paul writes about his own experience and the power of God and how that affected him. So, Will, does God's grace and the working of his power apply in our times? Then the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord is a very powerful conviction indeed and should lead anyone to a radical change in lifestyle and thinking. I must say, unfortunately, however, too many are giving intellectual assent to this fact. 
but never commit to the Lord. All of us would admit, yes, he is good, but we, we do not serve. And that's, that's not a good thing. James, actually, James 2, 2 verse 9 says, You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So you do not necessarily have to choose to side with the evil one. You just have to merely neglect to stand on the right side to lose your soul. So how does it affect me today, Lynn? Committal to God means more than a mental acknowledgement that he is compassionate and good, means more than just a verbal tribute to the grace of God. It really means offering our all to him and becoming his loyal servants, doing his will in our lives. Both in biblical times it was true, and it's true today as well. Thank you, Will. You said something which um, made me realize, and I've realized this before, that a lot of people will honor Christ as their saviour. But Jesus is often described as Lord and Saviour. And Lord has another dimension. Saviour saves us from our sins. But if Christ is our Lord, then we will make the choice to serve and honour him. So, Denise, forgiveness of sins for people in the BC times was only known through the sacrifice of animals by the ceremonial services. The people living then were not really able to grasp the full meaning of those symbols and ceremonies. And this is why, for them, the mystery of the gospel was hidden. Christ and his sacrifice revealed the truth of what those sacrifices were all about. Who, according to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11a, is to reveal the gospel mystery to the rest of the world. Well, actually, Len, I'm going to go back to verse 10 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, and I'm reading from a paraphrase, and it says, It is God's purpose that through the church his manifold wisdom might be disclosed to other worlds throughout the universe so they too will understand more of his love. And the first part of verse 11, this agrees with his purpose throughout the ages. So the members of the church who believe in Jesus Christ and his gospel message are the ones who are to reveal the mystery to the whole world. And indeed, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. There are a few people, like, say, Doug Batchelor, who kind of found out about the gospel simply through reading the Bible. But it's the duty, the mandate, if you like, of those who already belong to Christ to share the news of the gospel and to share the the beautiful change that happens within them. Now, here's an interesting question, and some of you might be very curious about this answer. Who else has an interest in the gospel of salvation and why? Yes, indeed, Len. Um, if you... Read in verse 10 of chapter 3, it goes on to say, To the intent 
that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, the question is, who are these principalities and powers? There uh, is a verse in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 10, where Jesus says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So clearly um, what happens on earth is seen by those in heaven. And in fact, um, not only by the angels of God, you can extend that. Let me just read also um, what Peter says regarding the preaching of the gospel, which was foretold by the ancient prophets, he says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And he says uh, that uh, these are the things the angels desire to look into. So uh, clearly the unfallen angels uh, witness what is happening here on earth. It's like, it's like we're a theater here. Um, where the outfolding of unfolding of God's grace is on full display to heavenly beings, but not just the um, the faithful angels. There are other principalities and powers. What might they be? I believe that um, that Satan and his fallen angels are also witnessing what's happening here, because they realise that uh, Jesus' death on the cross was a victory of love and a defeat for themselves and for the arch-deceiver, Satan. And like their leader, they knew that eventually they would have to face complete and utter annihilation. You know, it goes on to say also in Job, I think it's the first chapter, and I'm not 100% sure of this, but it's interesting, there's a verse there in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse, let me just find it here, verse 9 where it says, then the Lord, no, sorry, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I've always thought that this may be an inference to the sons of God being those who had remained faithful to God. I, I happen to believe that there's a strong possibility that there is life, uh, elsewhere in the universe that, that we're not the only ones and um, yeah, as I said previously that, 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 we're, that this little earth here where things went so horribly wrong is a um, is a theatre as it were we are, I think uh, it says somewhere else, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 9 that we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to man my point is that um, we're yeah we're we're on display as it were God's 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 grace as it unfolds on this earth is in full view of the universe. Yes, Jesus Himself said there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine just persons who need no repentance. So it's obvious that. Um, Heaven is interested in the outworking of the power of the gospel. And then, of course, there's the opposition, Satan and his demons. They are interested too. They don't want it to succeed. 
because they know that they are defeated and as you very rightly said, they are facing a total annihilation. Well, with the understanding that Gentiles, and that's simply a word for non-Jews, that they have access to God through Christ's intervention for mankind, how does Paul describe the manner in which we, and I include myself here because I don't have a Jewish background, uh, how does Paul describe the manner in which we may approach God, Ken? Well, again, in Ephesians 3 and reading verse 12, Paul states, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, talking of Jesus. So he also mentions in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So Paul's making very clear here that I think and specifically is talking to the, uh, the Gentiles that they can come with freedom, complete freedom and full of confidence before God's throne because they have accepted Jesus the same as uh, the Jews had. So they have every right to be uh, part of the family of God. Yes. And I suppose... Amongst some of you listeners, you might think, well, I'm totally unworthy to approach God. But here we have that invitation. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. That doesn't mean to say come to uh, God full of ourselves and tell God how good we are. But it simply says that God is willing to listen to our prayers no matter who we think we are. Well, although Paul was incarcerated in a Roman jail when writing to the Ephesian church people, he reminded them not to be discouraged because he, and he's the one who first brought the good news of the gospel to them, was locked up. Instead, he said what happened to him was for their glory. How come, Joe? Well, that's a good question. And I'll read verse 12 and 13, just gives us a little bit more context from the Good News Translation. It just goes over a little bit of what Ken said. In union with Christ and through our faith in him, we have the boldness to go into God's presence with all confidence. I beg you then not to be discouraged because I am suffering for you. It is all for your benefit. Now, some translations like the NIV say, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Remember that Paul's life was one of single-minded ministry to all his churches and Ephesus, Ephesus was one of them. I think we touched on this in the previous study, how the Ephesians, Ephesian elders wept openly when he had said that they should see his face no more in Acts 20. He was writing to them from jail, which already established, suffering for the sake of the gospel was not something new, something to surprise them. They would remember the riots and the troubles he had in Ephesus. Here he instructed them that 
All that he did was doing was about to do was for their benefit and glory, a reason to praise God and serve him with thankful hearts because great was their reward. Trouble does not mean defeat, and sometimes we forget that, or that God has lost control of the situation. God does not abandon his children under duress. We are to remember and we are we are to have that we have continual access and can approach God with freedom and respectful confidence. Paul was encouraging them, even though he was going to die, this would be for their benefit and glory and for the benefit of all those yet to come who will be encouraged by his living testimony that he loved not his life unto death, which was a characteristic of those or is a characteristic of those at the end of time. And we studied this previously and is mentioned in the book of Revelation 12, 11. He was not discouraged, nor should they, because God was working it out for the good, for their benefit, for their glory. Yes, it's interesting to ask ourselves, what is my glory? Is it my wife? Is it my children? Is it my car, my house or whatever? And then if you turn the question to the Ephesians and ask them, what is your glory? And the answer that Paul is giving, he's saying, I am your glory inasmuch as I brought the gospel of salvation to you. My ministry is not finished, although I'm locked up in prison. Don't think this is a uh, discredit to you. It's a credit. And um, and certainly Paul was a faithful and true missionary who loved his people. Well, um, a question for you, Denise. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it talks about the family of God. So who is included in the family of God? Well, it's interesting um, when you look at the Greek word for family, the Greek word for family is patria, and that takes its name from the word for father, which is pater. So there's a distinct connection there between Father, who is God, and the family, um, and the name is very similar. So when we we know from the Bible that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ becomes part of the family of God, uh, whether they're Jews, Gentiles, males, females, black, white, rich or poor, Greeks, whatever they are. So if we read in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15, For this reason I bow in prayer before such a loving father. The whole universe is his family and all who believe in heaven and earth have been given his name. So anybody who believes that Jesus Christ has come and died and risen for them and who calls on his name is part of his family. Yes. I was watching a program one time where some people were driving through parts of southern USA. This is only a few years ago, and they had to be very careful. Some of them had signage on their cars. They had to be very careful because that particular part of the United States, white supremacists are in control. And um, 
they don't mind beating up or even killing people who oppose their ideas. In other words, they were excluding uh, from Christian circles, if you like, any blacks or anybody who thought differently. But here, as you very well explained, anybody and everybody can be part of the family of God if, of course, they accept the gospel and accept the forgiveness through Jesus. Well, Nick also, um, Paul added, he had a prayer for the believers in Ephesus. What was that prayer? Well, then, uh, as uh, Denise was just there reading the previous uh, couple of verses, um, Paul had a reason. And the question is, do we have a reason, you know, to follow God, to even pray for others? And indeed, Paul had a reason. And in verse 16, it says here that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Sometimes we don't have power. We are, you know, that sort of lame Christians, if you like, because the power of the Holy Spirit is not working in us. And Apostle Paul, he was aware of this, and he was very keen to knee before God, the Almighty God, and to ask God to bless us all. He was interceding for his beloved uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? That's a very important question. Yes, I think it's very important, Nick, that we should pray for others, that um, first of all, to be mindful of others, and secondly, to help strengthen them. Um, now, the power that Paul was talking about, you very rightly said it's the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the, what's the end purpose of being strengthened through the Holy Spirit, Nick? Can you take that up as well? Yeah, sure, Len. I mean, again, as we discuss uh, uh, today, um, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul, it, it's very specific. And, you know, Paul, like we, we want today that the Holy Spirit, you know, will dwell in our life, will take residence uh, in our life, will change our hearts, if you like. I mean, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to change us, to be a new person in Christ. And when what that means to be a new person in Christ is to live like Christ, is to do what Christ will do. It's, you know, not to just uh, um, live in this life, maybe in accordance with what, what sort of education I have, what sort of culture I come from, uh, environmental things. Now we need to know God and our purpose. And I believe this is the most important thing. Paul, in other parts of the Bible, says he knows 
the direction, you know, the, I mean, and he fights, but not in vain. You know, he was to the target. Do we have that in our life today? I think that's the big question. My dear friend, today, I would like you to experience that with God. We have a wonderful uh, offer, which we continue to give. If those of you who are listening to us, you know, in the previous month, we had the same offer, but we like to extend this because this is a wonderful devotional. And you need to send us a text message to 04-8209-8883. The code is SABS1. Will, do you want to speak to that first? Because I want to add a little comment here. And then... Our study today is on the mystery of the gospel. And, you know, I think it's a mystery that none of us would fully understand. As we've been talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit and Christ changing the life, I thought of a little statement that uh, I'd like to share, that um, the will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be the life of continual obedience and through appreciation of the character of Jesus, through communion with God, sin will ultimately become hateful to us. That just shows what a transformation takes place. Can you imagine the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to the extent that sin becomes hateful to us? That's a mystery, uh, Lynn. It's an absolute mystery. Yes. Well, Will, you and Nick both used the word no. And this reminded me of a song I used to sing when I was younger. I know whom I have believed. I know him. I know the one I believe in. Well, Joe, in addition, Paul prayed that the Ephesian believers become grounded in their religious lives that they might have power. What conviction would this power bring? Well, if I read the uh, the text, Ephesians three seventeen and 18, it says, so that Christ may dwell in hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, to to catch a glimpse of the depth of God's love should melt our own hard hearts, should remove any barriers between God and ourselves. This should bring a power and a desire to be transformed from the small-minded, selfish, prejudiced people that we are to living a victorious life, a testimony to others, both in heaven and on earth. And And it is important to note that the power and understanding of the mysteries of God and God's love and character only come as Christ dwells in the heart. Yes. We'll come back to you, Will. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul is actually expanding a little on an aspect of 
Christian life. What should happen in the Christian life? Could you just uh, share a little on this, please? Certainly, Len. Before I read Ephesians 3 verse 19, let me just say, God wants to lead us into purity and right living, otherwise called sanctification. You see, God wants us to grow, grow in the Christian experience. I think it's a worry for parents to see a 14-year-old child mistaken as a 6-year-old. We all desire to mature intellectually and physically, especially as the so in our spiritual life, the spiritual life of the Christian. And so Ephesians 3 verse 19 speaks about the sanctification or this growth process when it says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, something to aspire to, isn't it? Certainly is. Now I want to throw a spanner into the works. And Joe, see how you'd go with this one. Growth in our religious lives, growth in Christ, as Will pointed out, is called sanctification. Coming to Christ and becoming uh, a Christian is called salvation. Here's my question. And listeners, you might give this a bit of thought in your own minds. Is sanctification as important as salvation? I'll say that again. Is sanctification, growing in Christ, as important as salvation? It's a very good question. I'm sure that theologians have wrangled over this and fallen out over this for hundreds or tens of hundreds of years. The short answer is yes. You can't have one without the other. Now, Will has said that sanctification is about how God transforms a person, making them fit for a holy purpose both here on earth and in heaven. It is when God's spirit enables a sinner to increasingly conform to Christ's goodness, and some people call it righteousness, but it's his goodness in simple terms, both inwardly and outwardly. This is not something that we can do of ourselves, and it is not something we can fake or buy. It is a gift, and the power of a changed life is equated to, by Paul, as raising someone from the dead. This is how impossible it is, but God can do it. So, you know, one cannot live as they please in disobedience to God and claim to be saved. We might remember a group who are shocked when Jesus returns and he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, these were supposedly good Christians doing lots of good works in his name. So sanctification prepares the heart for salvation, I would say, a changed heart, a love for God and other people, which is made evident in how we live and the choices we make. And it's an incredible testimony to the power of God to recreate and to restore and to redeem, both to people around us, but it also has been mentioned in previous um, discussions. There are other worlds watching on, looking on. 
Yes. I hope that sort of kind of answered the question a little bit, but I'm sure there will be people that may not agree. (laughs) Well, I'll add just a little bit. The Apostle Peter writing to the churches berated them. He said, you desire milk of the word. And he said, you should be desiring the meat of the word. In other words, you're still on a liquid diet, whereas you should be on a solid diet. Of course, that's an analogy to spiritual food. Well, we come to the end of the chapter in verses 20 and 21, which we would call the doxology, the end. Praise to God. In what aspect does Paul offer his praise, Ken? Well, then this, uh, again, is a very good one because if we look at Paul and all the different things he had to go through, some people be wondering why would he be praising God? But as Jonas said earlier on, how he came to know God and that amazing uh, transformation when Jesus met him on the road uh, through the Spirit and spoke to him. And Paul, who was on the wrong side of the track, shall we say, persecuted Christians, then understood and uh, obviously became a Christian himself. Now, if we think about that experience, that was absolutely awesome. That was an amazing experience. And I think Paul, like the rest of us, we look at God in awe and we're just, we just cannot grasp the greatness of God. And I think Paul was thinking around these sort of things himself because God can do works for us beyond our wildest dreams and things that we could, we would, could never imagine happen. God is able to do as we read in, uh, Ephesians 3 and verses 20, 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And 21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So again, we're saying that we, mere human beings, the lowest of the low, we have access to the wonderful power of God and God is interested in each and every one of us and wants to do so much for us, so much more than we can ever imagine or understand. Yes, thank you, Ken. So this doxology was written to the believers in Ephesians. And my question is, and it'll reinforce what you had to say, Nick, are we part of Paul's doxology, Jerry? Indeed, I believe we are, Len. In fact, um, my thoughts immediately went to John 3.16, where, as we know, uh, Jesus said um, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there's the invitation. It's the whosoever, everybody. And Denise pointed out just uh, previously as well, from Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, that there is, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your, what your ethnicity is, whether you're male or female, all that's irrelevant. Anybody who accepts Jesus Christ, uh, becomes partaker of his grace. It's all, literally all people. And 
In fact, um, in verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3, he then goes on to say, and if you are Christ's, then you are heirs according to the promise. So it's an all-encompassing invitation to whosoever, everybody. And that's good news. Yes, it's for us, the panel. It's for you listeners too. And if you haven't committed your life to Christ, it also applies to you if you'll take that step. Nick, did you want to say something here? Sure. I just want to remind our listeners again that uh, we have the that offer, which you can uh, grab it. It's a wonderful devotional, uh, God's Amazing Grace. You know that you can send us a text message to 04-8209-8883. The code is SABS1. I'm encouraging you to um, request this devotional and um, be blessed every day as you give your life to God. We are talking about the change we are looking into from the Holy Spirit. May God bless you and request this uh, uh, wonderful offer. Well, listeners, we've basically covered the whole chapter, Ephesians 3, in detail. But before we leave you today, we'd like to make a summary of the main points that we've been talking about. I'm going to start off. The mystery of the gospel is salvation is available for everyone. Number two, Paul himself was a living example of the power of the gospel. Yes, and to be a servant of Jesus Christ is a privilege rather than a shame. Mm -hmm. There is power in the gospel, power to save and power to change. Other spiritual entities have an intense interest in the outworking of the gospel. Anyone saved by grace is part of the family of God. And we should uh, be confident that God willingly hears our prayers. In all believers, there should be growth in spirituality, commitment, power, service, and character. God is to be praised for what he has done and continues doing. Thank you, panel. And listeners, we would like to end this uh, program today with prayer. Prayer for you, that you might experience the power of salvation, that you might experience God's power as God is um, refining you and you are growing in grace. Thank you, Jerry. Our gracious and kind heavenly Father, loving Saviour, we thank you for the time we've been able to spend together again with our listeners in the study of your word. We thank you for the marvel that is the saving grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ, your son. We just pray, Lord, that um, we may put our hand in, in yours, surrender our hearts to you, and enable you to transform us and to change us into the people you have always desired for us to become. Lord, please watch over each one. 
And until we meet again, may you keep us in your loving arms. Is our wish and prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for uh, your participation today. Uh, indeed, uh, some people may look at uh, the Bible as a mystery. But uh, we learned today that uh, God wants us to be blessed, to know his will. Uh, we are going to uh, learn a little bit more in our next study, the unified body of Christ. My dear friend, please join us again. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Don't forget to send us a text message to 04-8209-8883 with the code SABS1 and you'll have a wonderful devotional, God's Amazing Grace. Until then, may God bless you. Take this world, but give me Jesus, all its joys are but a name, but his Take this word